Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Last week we completed verses 1 and 2, but I'm going to read them again for context of chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, start with verse 1. Verse 1 says, Now, brothers and sisters, Paul writing, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you about the grace of God, which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia, awakening them to a longing to contribute. For during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep poverty together overflowed in the wealth of their lavish generosity. Now, if you look at that verse, I want you to notice that the subject is the grace of God as it is manifested through the giving of the Macedonians. These were the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Now, here's the thing about grace. Grace is the activity of God. It is never the activity of man, okay? So, grace is the activity of God, not the work of man. And grace imparts from God a work that would not and could not otherwise occur. So, that's what Paul is talking about. This is about the grace of God being manifested through yielded Macedonians, living from the inside out. Paul writes that this grace was demonstrated in the midst of severe distress and deep poverty, which was probably the lowest tier of third world poverty, something we in the U.S. know very little about. Also, I can't imagine, as I said last week, what Paul would describe as severe distress. This man had suffered unimaginable hardships and persecution. So this grace was not born out of the wealth of the Macedonians, but was miraculously brought forth from their poverty. They overflowed with lavish generosity that was attended with great joy. And as I mentioned last week, joy is actually the fruit of the Spirit. So again, from the inside out, joy was experienced. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul continues, he says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us insistently for the privilege of participating in the service for the support of the saints in Jerusalem. Now, Paul could testify because he'd lived among them. He knew their extreme poverty. He knew how these people were barely able to feed themselves. Yet they gave according to what they had and beyond what they had. Now this is a work of grace because it was in giving that these people were enriched. They were confident in their God and it was their joy to draw from his provision, to give what they didn't have. They didn't count it out of the riches of this world, but out of the abundance of their God. They were not compelled by the need. And so, so much of the time we are, so much of God's resources are thrown out in the name of a need. We give according to need. We do not give according to need. We give the same, th- same way that we live as children of God. We give in obedience. We give by revelation. 
We give an affirmation of the truth of who we are. We give because the heart of the Father within us compels us. We do not give according to the need. If Jesus had done that, he would have healed all the lepers, wouldn't he? He would have taken care of all the blind people. But no, he passed many by and only healed the few. They gave. They gave according to what they had and beyond what they had, and they were enriched in it. They were not compelled by the need. They knew the need better than most because they were experiencing poverty. They were not compelled by the pleading of the disciple or the apostle. They were compelled by their very being. That's different. They were living from the inside out. And what was at the center of them urged them with a great unction to come forward and give. This is the same unction that should drive every Christian to give. They were barely able to feed themselves and they were giving beyond what they had. They were compelled by the Spirit of God within them. They were living from the inside out. You know, what glorious freedom that allows us to look at our circumstances and say, I will not be limited by you. What glorious freedom. We rarely know that, don't we? To be able to stand up and to declare in the face of of the giant, you will not threaten me. I do not stand in the strength of my arms or my legs. I am held by him who holds the world together. I'm not limited by you. I'm living out of the abundance of my union with Christ. That was their profession. As they expressed the grace of giving, they were experiencing the joy of sharing his life. And this is the truth of it. As we express in obedience all that he calls us to, the way we experience that life is that it flows from within to the without. My soul only knows the Father to the extent that I've allowed Him to flow through my mind, will, and emotions. My history with the Lord is based in my obedience to Him. What does that mean? That means that in trusting Him to be my provision, I have known Him to be my provision. That means in trusting Him to be my love, I have known Him as love. And for a Christian to try to operate apart from that dynamic is to leave him bankrupt. And giving is no different. That's why the Spirit of God wants them to give. They were not just giving out of what they had. They were giving out of who they were. If Jesus had only given from what he possessed on the earth as a man, nobody would have seen the Father. The abundance of being Christian is that we are not being held by the limits of our own resources. We are living out of the abundance of God's resources, God's grace. If you think it's just about money, then you're limited by a man-centered perspective. You're allowing yourself to be blinded. Listen, we are to be living from his resources, his life, his union. And that's what we're seeing from the Macedonians. It's a a supernatural display of God's grace that goes well beyond their capacity, well beyond their ability. We have to remember that we were not called to this life to be just natural beings, but that the reality of the new creation is that it supersedes the natural. You are supernatural. His grace attends you even now. 
with every breath that you draw, with every thought that you're able to process, his grace is attending you. They were begging for the privilege to participate in the support of the saints in Jerusalem. In the original language, it speaks of pleading to implore or pray for. That's not a passive inquiry. It's actually the same word that the demoniac uses in Luke 8.28 when he's pleading with Jesus. This was their conviction. It was not given out of the flesh. It was not given because of sympathy or propriety. It was driven by the Spirit of God. I mean, today we see a lot of people with their hand out. But how many people do you see begging to give? You know why they're begging to give? Because they're driven by the Spirit of God out of the abundance of who God is and who they are. They're literally bursting to express the wealth, the abundance, the truth of the God within them. So they're not asking politely. They're begging. Please. Please. They were not motivated by need, but by a yielded heart to the call of the Spirit. They were passionate about exercising grace. To them, this was a privilege and a blessing that was attended by great joy. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the saints in Jerusalem. The saints in the Jerusalem that Paul was collecting for, they were, they were facing extreme poverty. Now, you may remember that this church came into existence at Pentecost. It consisted of the disciples and the followers of Jesus who were joined by thousands of pilgrims who were converted that day and during the months to follow. These pilgrims had come from all over the the then-known world to participate in the Jewish celebration of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast that followed Passover. A lot of people came and were in attendance from all over the world. And you will remember that when the Spirit of God fell, they heard, they all heard in their own language, which indicates there were many nationalities and people from all over. They came as pilgrims, and they never came to stay. They came for that festival and were visiting and were planning to leave shortly thereafter and resume their lives from wherever they came from. They were primarily Jews. And whenever this festival would happen, or this event would happen, Jerusalem would swell many times its size, and there was absolutely no, they had no capacity for this many people. So just as it was when Jesus came to this earth, all the ends were full, and these people would go to whoever would keep them or allow them to stay, but the majority of them ended up camping out in the wilderness. Now... There were 3,000 converted on the day of Pentecost, and later an additional 5,000 men were converted, not including women and children. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And once all of these people, these Jews, became believers, they were outcasts. Now, Jerusalem was a holy city, and the marketplace was dominated by the Jews and driven by the Jews. All the industry was dominated, what little industry was in and around Jerusalem was dominated by the Jews and driven by the Jews. Most of the associations and people that you would have to deal with, you would deal with in the Jewish society. 
But once these people had declared themselves followers of Christ, they immediately alienated themselves, not only to the Jewish society, but they were considered dead by their families. They were no longer allowed in the temple or allowed to trade in the marketplace. They no longer were accepted by their own people or their families. For many of these pilgrims, they had no home to go to. Most of these people were working in generational businesses that their families had held for for years, many, many years. Agricultural businesses that their families held, land their families held, all kinds of things. And once they declared themselves as being followers of Christ, that was over. So you can see that things were pretty bad for them. You add to that, Famine and the oppression of the Roman government, and you have a pretty bleak existence for these people. And Paul had been been touched by the need and moved by the Spirit of God to take up a collection for them. And then this collection he took at the churches that he discipled, and the the church in Corinth was one of them. Look at verse 5. Speaking of the Macedonians, he writes, Not only did they give materially as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us as his representatives, by the will of God, disregarding their personal interests and giving as much as they possibly could. Now notice that they gave of themselves to the Lord first. That means that they gave all that they were to him. And when they say they gave of themselves, that means that everything they had belonged to the Lord. And we are not our own, are we? We've been bought with a price, right? This is what they've recognized. They owned nothing of their own. We have been born again so that we can have the privilege of living in complete dependency upon him, claiming nothing for ourselves, but having everything that God counts as valuable as ours in Christ Jesus. So, from the world's perspective, extreme poverty. From God's perspective, abundant wealth. You see the correlation? They gave of themselves to the Lord first, which means they gave out of the Lord's resources as they counted all that they had was his. It's like using somebody else's checkbook. It's like somebody with a lot of money handing you their checkbook and say, you know, write as many checks as you'd like. And you say, you know what, I think I'll give to this, this situation or circumstance. And you're not writing out of your account, you're writing out of theirs. The resources that they counted on was his. They had no personal interest apart from Christ. Look at verse 6. So we urge Titus that as he began it, he should also complete this gracious work among you as well. Now, he's talking about the work that Titus had encouraged among the, the Corinthians. He is the one who started this collection. And Titus had encouraged the Corinthians to participate in this gift about a year ago and given specific instructions on how this was to be collected. But It is assumed that the whole thing was neglected when they had fallen into rebellion and started entertaining false teachers. So Paul is encouraging them through Titus to continue in grace, in the grace of giving. And this is not about added revenue. He's not saying this, you know, guys, we got a quota to meet. Unless you guys pony up, we're going to come short. I mean, the thermometer's right here. It needs to be here, right? He's not saying that. What he is saying is, look At what God will do. Start living from the inside out. Allow him to express his abundance through you. Begin to practice the truth. It's time for you to get on board with it. It's not about money. 
So, this is not about the added revenue. This is about repentance. It's about their entering into a maturing and healing work. You see, one of the first things God's going to compel you to do after you repent is to get back in the flow of yielding to his life and allowing him to express that life through you. And that is the healing of repentance. There is no healing in in laying on their face in contrition, crying out to God over your sin because Jesus already paid it all. And that does not reverse the dynamic of living from the inside out. It's simply you admitting the truth about your sin. What reverses that dynamic is just priming the pump by getting up, as Paul said, and going forward in obedience to all that God has called you to. Reckoning on the truth that you are forgiven, that His life is your life, and going forward in ministry. And so God will give you opportunity to get up, quit groveling, and start expressing truth. Well, it's a whole different picture than we have from the religious world where people spend hours on their knees begging God and hoping to achieve a certain status with God so that at some point they might be able to enter into ministry. Well, let me tell you something. You entered into ministry when you entered into Christ. He is ministry. And I don't care how unqualified you may think yourself to be, as a Christian, the testimony of Christ trumps it, pardon the pun, completely takes it off comparison. Jesus is your victory, not your ability to live perfectly. So, Paul continues, he says in verse 7, But just as you excel in everything, he's talking to the Corinthians here, but just as you excel in everything and lead the way in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in genuine concern, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this gracious work of giving. I am not saying this as a command to dictate to you, but to prove by pointing out the enthusiasm of others, the Macedonians, and the sincerity of your love as well. So Paul has now named this grace of giving as part of the maturing work of the Spirit that the Spirit was doing among them. And he wants them to heal and grow in the truth of who they are. And we do this by expressing through our humanity his divinity, his, his truth, his life. Now, what he's asking them to do is a spiritual activity. And the Corinthians need to participate in it to practice living from the inside out. Now, I want you to look closely at verse 8 because it's most interesting. First, Paul tells them, I'm not commanding you. I'm not telling you what to do here. Why would he do that? Why would he say that? Because he wants them to yield to the life within them. This is not a rule book. This is actually a demonstration of who God is. It's literally a covenant between God and man ratified through the life of Christ. And he does not want you to live with this as a rule book. He wants you to live from the person of Christ at the center. So he is not giving commands to these people. He is telling them to live in obedience to the life that is within you. Let me describe for you what that looks like. Look at the Macedonians. Let me give you an example. Giving is not the thing. 
That's not the example. Look at the abundance of their gift in light of their poverty. Look at the selflessness of the gift. Look at their joy that that abounds in their giving. That, my friend, is a demonstration of the Spirit of God literally expressing Himself through human flesh. It is the Word become flesh. It is the spiritual life that you and you and you and you and you and all of you were called to. He wants them to heal. And Paul is pointing out the sincerity, also pointing out the sincerity of the Corinthian love. Now think about that. He's pointing to the sincerity of the Corinthians' love. And he's saying, in effect, you want this. This is who you are. I want you to see this love that you have. Now, would you hazard a guess as to what word he uses for love there? Agape. Agape, which is a word that describes the love of God, literally who God is. It has its source in God. It cannot be derived from anything else. And he says, I want you to know you're the sincerity of your love, of your God love. I want you to see what you have within you. I want you to draw from the resource of his life within you. I want you to prove it for yourself. Why does he call us to go love an enemy so that we can prove agape? Why does he call us to minister to the people around us so that we can prove that agape? That's what he's saying to them. Look at who you are. You ever get blinded to who you are? Every time you argue with God, it's because you've been blinded. Every time that you begin to see yourself as something less than God's perfect child, you have been blinded. Every time you say, I can't love, I can't express what God is asking me to express. Every time you do that, you've been blinded. And Paul is just doing what the Spirit of God does so many times. He's just saying, look within. I want you to see who you are. I want you to live in the truth of who you are. Quit living like you're just flesh and blood. Quit living out of the meager resources of your humanity. Quit living like this world has some influence and control over you. Quit living like you are literally held at the whim of flesh. Live like who you are. With the abandon that says to the circumstances, I am not bound by you. I am bound by the will of God. I am yielded to His life within me. And if I give, I give from His resource. If I love, I love from His love. If I do anything, as Jesus said, it is because He and His life does it through me. Because we live exactly like Jesus did. That's why what would Jesus do really doesn't make any sense for us. It's what is Jesus doing? What am I going to yield to? He's living his life through me. Agape love is not given apart from God. And and who is Paul seeking to affirm in truth here? The Macedonians? Listen, the affirmation of truth is not found in a teacher or preacher's voice. It's found in you. And it's found manifested through you. So here's the way that works. My wife is being a pill and God says, go and love her. I don't want to love her. I don't want to love her because I don't appreciate her behavior and she doesn't deserve love. And God says, go and love her. And I go and I put my arm around her and I say, I love you. Did that come out of the meager resources of my flesh or did I just allow his life to flow? 
And it begins to heal my soul. Because in my mind, will, and emotions, there's all kinds of things going on. It's reanalyzing what she said last. It's replaying all the scenarios. It's counting up all the ways I can be bitter and get some kind of petty payback, you know? All of that's replaying in my soul. And what I have done is I have invited those people out of my soul and invited his truth in. And the truth in me says, I will love her. All of this is irrelevant. It is lies brought on to my soul by the enemy and by the flesh and by the world. I will not listen to the whispers of the enemy any longer. I will not entertain his voice. I will stand in the truth of what God has shown me about who I am. And I will express what is true of me. And what is true of me is love. Unconditional love. Agape love. Love that has its sources in Almighty God. You said, wait a minute, I thought you were talking about giving. Yeah, I am. Giving out of the resources and the abundance of Christ is your life. Paul is seeking to affirm the truth in them. He's challenging the Corinthians to live from the inside out. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.